Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Jam-packed show coming up for you. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. Tom Brady. Patriots quarterback. He has a new endorsement deal. We'll tell you who that's with coming up in our next segment. In segment three, Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. The NHL has a new format for the All-Star Game. I love it. We'll talk about that with Paul. And then in segment four, one of my favorites, Rick Buecher, ESPN's NBA insider. We're going to talk about the Miami Heat. We're also going to get the latest on the collective bargaining agreement negotiations. Is there going to be a work stoppage following this season? We'll talk about that with Buecher coming up in segment four. You're listening to Sports Business Radio Headlines coming up next. This is SBR. Back with more after this. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. This week's Sports Business Radio headlines brought to you by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one. There's a change in Big D. The Dallas Cowboys have fired Wade Phillips as their coach, replaced him with offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. Griggs, you know, this is interesting, and and I wrote about this on my blog this week at sportsbusinessradio.com. The Cowboys, along with the Yankees and the Lakers, very recognizable, iconic brands. Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, has this, you know, enormous, multi billion dollar stadium to fill. 
in Dallas. I think the next coach of the Cowboys needs to be a star name, much like Phil Jackson is for the Lakers. They need someone like a Bill Cowher, a John Gruden, someone who's got some pizzazz to them to help sell tickets and to command the respect of those players on that team that basically quit on Wade Phillips. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it's obvious that they need to change, and I think it was a good move. They need to start doing something because you're going to lose fans if the team just keeps losing and nothing's happening. And I like that. Bring a star in, somebody that's that's a big name and a good coach. And we'll see. I mean, maybe Jason Garrett will turn things around for the Cowboys this year, and if he does, then maybe he's the guy that stays there. But I still think the Cowboys are a brand that deserves a big-name coach. And you know that the Bill Cowers of the world and the Grudens are just waiting for the right opportunity. And for a deep-pocketed owner like Jerry Jones to give them that you know seven or eight million dollar a year contract, so I think there'll be a line of people. It'll be interesting to see what Jerry Jones does. The other thing that he should do, as I wrote this week, he needs to fire himself as the general manager. He's made one poor decision after another with personnel. I mean, let's not forget, Griggs, the Cowboys have won one playoff game in the last 15 years. This isn't Troy Aikman. This isn't Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith. This isn't the dynasty of the 90s. They've won one playoff game in the last 15 years. They have a lot of work to do in Dallas and a lot of toys and stadiums to fill and things like that. So uh, Jerry Jones better get on it. Our next headline sticking in the NFL. Interesting deal here. Under Armour. They've signed New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady to an endorsement deal. Reports are it'll be a million dollars a year in cash, but then where Brady can really make his money is in equity. And you've seen more and more endorsement deals in recent years where athletes have taken an equity stake in a company, and that can pay huge, enormous dividends. I mean, vitamin water paid athletes probably 10 times what they would have made if they had just taken the straight endorsement deal. So the other thing is, is you know, now with Ray Lewis, Under Armour has two pretty recognizable NFL faces, Ray Lewis and Tom Brady. So it gives them some credibility that maybe they didn't have before. Tom Brady, you know, maybe with Peyton Manning, the two biggest faces in the NFL. I think it's a big move for Under Armour too, because everybody wants to wear what quarterbacks are wearing. They're the cool people on the on the field. So you know, Under Armour is going to be good because you know Brady, obviously, big name. Everybody loves the guy. And now I think they're going to sell some product because of that. Plus, the other thing is with Brady, he transcends the football field. He's married to Giselle, the supermodel. And, you know, he's in fashion shoots in GQ magazine. So this is a guy that, you know, the entertainment fan and other people who aren't just the diehard football fans are going to relate to. So uh, I think it's a big deal for Under Armour. We'll see how it affects them going forward. Our last headline of the week, write this down. We don't talk about horse racing very often on this show, but Zenyatta. Really, the biggest name in horse racing. Tons and tons of exposure leading up to the Breeders' Cup last weekend. 60 Minutes, the New York Times, you know, ESPN. Lots of people giving Zenyatta 19-0 coming into that race coverage. Zenyatta lost by a head. But I'll tell you what, she was huge for the Breeders' Cup. $11 million in ticket sales, $196.3 million in two-day total betting, and TV ratings for the Breeders' Cup up 182% this year. So, you know, you would think horse rating, a sport that's dying, if there's any way that Zenyatta can stick around for a little while, uh, she's great for horse racing, and she doesn't have the stud fees, and she's a female, that some of the other male horses have, so she doesn't have that kind of aftermarket 
uh, income that the, the male horses have. Yeah, it was a great race. I, I admit I was going back and forth between football and the race, and then what a finish. I mean, she starts way in the back, and then you just see her moving up. It's like a movie. You know, you just see her at the last minute, and you're just like, go, 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 and then couldn't, didn't happen. And that's her style. She's always a you know, late charger, and uh, boy, the jockey just felt horrible. I felt bad for him afterwards. But an exciting race, and 19-1, uh, and one, not bad. Coming up next, Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. He's going to join us. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Paul Swangard. He's the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Good friend of the show. Paul, how are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Good. You know, I know you're a big NHL guy, and I got to tell you, I love what they're proposing to do with the format for the All-Star Game. Basically, two captains picking players from either conference to make the teams. Give me your thoughts on this. I think it's a great idea, and to your point, I, I, I guess to steal a pun from uh, our friends at Major League Baseball, I, I think it's a home run. I mean, there's uh, uh, there's a newness and freshness to it. I think all the, uh, the All-Star Games, uh, you know, could have looked to this idea, and it creates, uh, you know, at least for the core fan, uh, uh, a new reason to care for an event that uh, you know has arguably been a, a glorified exhibition game, and that's true not only the NHL but uh, certainly some of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, I think all these all-star games have become stale, and if you look at the TV ratings, they've declined, the attendance has declined, and it's become more about sponsors who are being spiffed with tickets than the fans having an interest in these all-star games, and to me, this kind of takes us back to our roots. We all played sports at some level, probably, and you know, it's like being on the playground, and two captains are picking sides, and it's regardless of conference, regardless of, you know, maybe you're not picking your teammate, you're picking someone else, and there's hurt feelings, it's got some drama to it. Yeah, and you know the NHL dating back, uh, you know, experimented a couple of years with a with a uh, kind of North America versus the world format, and so you know they've got some history in in mixing things up. 
you know, they're going to do it as a, a made-for-TV event, so create some new uh, shoulder programming for them. And uh, and I think there's a great you know business model behind this. I think they're going to be able to create some new revenue streams. Uh, and to your point, it'll be fun. And uh, you know, you're just going to feel bad for the one all-star who's going to be left there at the end. And <laughs> how many of us who have been on that playground scenario? So you know, pick me, pick me. We'll uh, maybe even see a couple all-stars with tears in their eyes as uh, as the final rosters are set. Don't you think the NBA should go to this format? I think the NBA All-Star Game has become very, very stale. Yeah, you know, and I've, and I've been fortunate to uh, to attend, you know, most of the NBA All-Star Games during the last decade, and, and the conversations, you know, even in the in the crowd have really turned to, uh, you know, what can we do to freshen this thing up? It's still one of the great weekends, uh, you know, for those of us in sports business, uh, you know, great technology conference, there's some great activities that, uh, you know, the league puts on, and there's a great chance to interact. A lot of business gets done at these types of events, uh, you know, each and every year, but you know, from All-Star Saturday night, uh, you know, on well into the game, uh, yeah, freshness is, is certainly uh, the message coming out of the decision by the NHL. And, you know, I think to the extent that the NBA tried that last year with the uh, staging of the game at Cowboys Stadium, that certainly brought some spectacle to it. But uh, the game itself, yeah, uh, a little stale and, uh, and something like, uh, you know, picking your team uh, one by one, irregardless of, of conference or division, I think is... Uh, uh, credit to the NHL for coming up with something uh, unique and different, and I wouldn't say it's uh, wrong for other leagues to copy that. Let's change topics. Uh, ESPN, they've got the BCS now. They're looking at maybe reacquiring the NHL. They're looking at the Monday Night Football property. What do we know there? Well, it, it's an interesting time in, in, in television rights negotiations. We obviously have the uh, Comcast-NBC merger coming. Uh, we have the NHL coming into the market with um, you know th- their business looking a whole lot better than it did when uh, they had the uh, the year that they didn't play. So I think the NHL stands to benefit. You know they went with NBC and and versus uh, in a in a model where they received less upfront rights revenue from those partners, but felt like they were getting a, a, a more uh, you know, a partner that would care about them a little bit more than ESPN. Um, now we have ESPN sort of, you know, feeling like they need to be out in the market and being aggressive. And in respect to the NHL deal, I think, uh, you know, ultimately the NHL is going to stand to benefit whoever ultimately gets that package. And both, I think, uh, NBC, Comcast, and, and ESPN will want it. And then the other piece of that story with ESPN relative to the NFL deal is, you know, reopening their negotiations. You know, they're spending a little over a billion dollars a year on that Monday night football package. They're trying to get the NFL to agree to allow them to stream uh, the Monday night football games um, through this this TV anywhere uh, philosophy where they'd be able to stream it onto wireless devices. Yet one of the most lucrative deals that the NFL has as a sponsorship deal is with Verizon, and so we're now getting into sort of this uh, confusing array of, you know, how content is delivered to the fan and cutting across different channels of distribution. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess the only fortunate thing for any prospective students out there is uh, if you want to go to law school, there's going to be a future in media rights negotiations uh, forever and a day because of these types of uh, situations moving forward. We're joined by Paul Swangard. He's with the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. You know, the University of Oregon has always been an outside-the-box thinking school. We remember several years back when they 
took out that big billboard in downtown Manhattan promoting Joey Harrington for the Heisman Trophy. In many people's polls, LaMichael James, the running back from the University of Oregon, top three candidate, having a fantastic year. Ducks are playing really, really well. But Oregon's not doing anything. Chip Kelly has said he wants the focus to be on the team. There's not going to be a campaign for LaMichael James. That's a little bit surprising to me, Paul. Yeah, it's a little bit different than, to your point, what we've seen before. There was this, you know, whole era, you know, really around the, you know, the Mike Bellotti era of Oregon football, um, where we would see, you know, specific athletes on the billboards, and 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 a lot of these kids were actually, you know, recruited on that premise that they would, you know, they would be assisted in building sort of their own personal brand along the way. And in the you know the era that we're now in with Chip Kelly, that philosophy has uh, has shifted a bit, and it's a bit more about team uh, and that team identity. And I think in most of the advertising and marketing you'd see related to the team, that's now the story uh, that he's trying to you know share. And as a direct result of that, you're not going to see um, individual athletes get the kind of uh, attention from the marketing machine at Oregon that we've seen in the past. And you know, I think there's it, it. It is you know of some concern. I think that uh, in the recent months, with a series of unfortunate uh, circumstances happening, you know, with certain members of the team, that you know that's perhaps a bigger risk in in marketing the program right now, rather than taking the risk of putting your your marketing muscle behind an individual. Uh, you might be better. Uh, better meant to spend that money on a, on, a, on a team concept, which is what Chip is really doing. Sticking on the topic of the Heisman Trophy, this Cam Newton story has really exploded in the last week or two. And, you know, while I'm not going to convict him like a lot of people convicted Duke Lacrosse, and we saw how that turned out, it's interesting because this story is so fluid that the Heisman voters who have to cast their vote in the not-too-distant future are left in a really interesting quandary because I think a lot of them would probably, if it's found out that Cam Newton is guilty of infractions, they probably wouldn't vote for him. But I don't think that's going to unfold in a manner that's fast enough for them to have that information by the time they vote. It's kind of interesting. It's very interesting. I think in the absence of what has happened with Reggie Bush, I think this would be less of an issue. I think since uh, we've come to to learn all the uh, the allegations uh, laid against Reggie Bush uh, apparently are more true than false, that that will probably have some bearing on people's voting behavior in the Heisen race. Now, whether that will extend all the way through to other candidates, I mean, Michael James, uh, for those who haven't followed him um, specifically, you know, did have a, a situation where he was involved in an altercation with a girlfriend uh, earlier on this year. But, you know, if you l- learn a little bit more about the story, you realize that, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily uh, – all that has been publicized in the in the popular press, but I think there's uh, you know clearly going to be some people going into that voting period saying you know I'd really love to end up voting for someone that I know you know 10, 15 years from now is still going to be the person that I believed they were when I voted for them in the first place. Has the Heisman Trophy? I mean, I know there's the big TV special and everything, but it just doesn't seem to have the the luster to me that it used to have. Do you get that same feeling, or do you think it's still one of the most prestigious awards in sports? I think it's less less so than it has been. Um, I, you know, but I have no data necessarily to support that. I mean, there's a lot of awards now, and seemingly every uh, you know every time you pop on to. Uh, 
you know, a sports website or in the paper, you see, you know, a number of players being placed on the semifinalist list for this, that, and the other things. So, you know, to the extent that there are, are maybe too many awards that are uh, recognizing, you know, top talent in, in college football, I think the Heisman still has, uh, you know, uh, great equity and, and perhaps it's maybe uh, a, a brand that could uh, – could strengthen itself a little bit more than it has been in the past, and I think the, you know, the the success and excitement around college sports today, um, you know, gives you know gives some pause to thinking that the Heisman Trophy uh, has the ability to be a um, big award each and every year if uh, if they can figure out a better way to market it. Paul, before we let you go, tell us about the latest happenings at the uh, Warsaw Center. What are you guys working on? Well, obviously, an exciting time to be on our campus. Uh, you know, with the uh, with the success of the athletic department, a lot of our students are involved in a lot of aspects, not only with the the football program, but as well, uh, you know, the construction and opening of. Uh, the most expensive college basketball arena ever built on a college campus, the Matthew Knight Arena, which opens in January. Uh, actively uh, pursuing our next uh, class of MBA students. The uh, application deadlines are coming fast and furiously. And as you know, Brian, you know we uh, were very fortunate by uh, being able to attract students from around the globe to come study in our program. And uh, if anybody would be interested in being a part of that, that's uh, looking for a full-time uh, on-campus program. We certainly invite them to check us out at WarsawCenter.com and, uh, and learn a little bit more about what we do here. And you guys are on Twitter, UO Warsaw Center. And uh, I got to say, I really enjoyed our last live event that we did with uh, Commissioner Garber from Major League Soccer. I thought he was very candid, and I look forward to doing more events with you guys uh, next year. Yeah, it's been a great uh, opportunity to, for the benefit of some of your listeners uh, in, the, in the Oregon, Southwest Washington area. And uh, yeah, it's a, a chance to you know, showcase some of the folks that, uh, you know, we've been able to attract to campus over the years and certainly, you know, the, the ability of, uh, of your show to attract the, uh, the leading names in our industry and you can put them in a different format and give chance uh, for people to interact with them. It's great. And, I, you know, folks like Don and Larry Scott and, uh, and Larry Miller are three this year, um, you know, really add a lot to the dialogue and uh, uh, look forward to having more of those in the, in the years to come. Well, I know you have some travels coming up, so safe travels, happy holidays, and let's catch up again soon. Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common. Good coaching. And I want to be your coach. Your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined by Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider, good friend of the show. Rick, great to have you back on. How are you? It's good to be back. Uh, I am uh, I'm doing extremely well and uh, just uh, loving the NBA season that we're facing and 
uh, all of the uh, the subplots that uh, are already in full swing. So let me give you my observation of early on what I've observed. We all know that the epicenter of the NBA offseason was Miami, where they signed LeBron James and they brought in Chris Bosh. They re-signed Dwayne Wade. Well, the Heat, not off to a great start. Some people like Jeff Van Gundy, who you know is on your network, talked about how they might win 72 games. What's pretty obvious to me, and I talked to some people out at Nike this week that work with Kobe Bryant on a regular basis— Kobe and the Lakers were taking note during the summer of all the attention Miami was getting, and I think, yeah. and this isn't a bold prediction by any stretch because they're you know eight no as we tape this. If anyone's going to break the seventy-two game record, it's going to be the Lakers, and the Lakers have come out with a mission early. Yes, uh, no question about it. I uh, the the Lakers certainly had the biggest reason to be insulted by the uh, all the attention and the the uh, immediate anointment of uh, the Miami Heat as the team to beat uh, in, the, uh, in the NBA. If, if anybody who was the two-time defending champion, I, I would, would have to be of the same mind. And uh, they're smart enough to know that being the hunted carries a weight with it. And they are more than happy to allow Miami Heat, uh, the Miami Heat to carry that weight. But it doesn't mean that they're not incensed by everybody just assuming that the Miami Heat are capable of competing with or even beating them. I would dare say, though, that that feeling, uh, maybe on lesser levels, but n- nonetheless exists throughout the league. Uh, th- I don't know of, of anybody who doesn't look at the Miami Heat and say, uh, okay. Uh, you guys came together, you signed there, um, the ceremony, the, uh, uh, and it's, it's one thing for, for the media and the world to make a big deal about it. It's another thing for the players to fully engage in that and well and act as if they had accomplished something. And I know the feeling is, is around the league that, uh, that, that all of the uh, off uh, season histrionics that followed those guys signing there uh, left a bad taste uh, in a lot of mouths uh, well beyond those in L.A. Let's talk about this from a business standpoint for a moment. Obviously, Miami invested a tremendous amount of money yep. in James, yep. in Wade, in Bosch. I think most people would agree that Wade and LeBron James are max guys, and I've done shows in the past on how I think there's really five or six guys in the league that are max guys, even though there's more than that paid like a max guy. The guy who I think, you know, at some point is going to establish himself as a fraud, as a max guy in Miami, is Chris Bosh, and he's been eaten alive just this last week. Emeka Okafor, 26 and 13 against him. Paul Millsap, 46 and 9 against him. Yep. He's giving up big, big numbers, and I think he's showing he is not an inside presence like they maybe had thought he would be coming to them, and they've got nothing in the middle, and when you're going up against the Lakers and the Celtics with those front lines, good luck. You, uh, when you look at Chris Bosh, he's a jump-shooting power forward, and people immediately, you know, they look at his size or his height, and they, say, and they label him a big man. Well, he's a big man like Kevin Garnett is, uh, where... Kevin Garnett, if he were ha- if he doesn't have a Kendrick Perkins next to him, uh, who's a vastly underrated defender, shot blocker, 
uh, and just has a lot of size. And if he had, if he didn't have, uh, if he didn't have Kendrick on one side and Paul Pierce, who is a very big body for a small forward, uh, I, I just don't know that Kevin Garnett would have had the success in Boston that he's had. He would have more of the success that we've seen that that we saw in Minnesota, which was essentially, you know, a great regular season. Uh, done once you get to the postseason and can game plan for a guy. And I dare say that when, when you look at the business of it, it's not just that you signed Chris Bosch to a max deal, but uh, you also signed two perimeter players to max deals in Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. And it smacks a little bit of putting Grant Hill and Tracy McGrady together. Great, phenomenal talent. Individually, you could argue are max guys. But, and this is where I believe, while certainly the Miami Heat are going to find ways to get better, there are things that they can improve on. They didn't have a training camp because Dwayne Wade was out so long. The model uh, of, of putting the talent that they did together and how it meshes, really, I, I don't know that there's another, another model out there that matches that as far as building a championship team. Now, selling tickets, uh, being a road draw, uh, selling uh, you know TV sponsorships and garnering great TV ratings, all of those things, yeah, that splash, probably from a fiscal standpoint, you could argue that it makes financial sense what they did, at least in the short term. But in terms of building a championship team, and I know people like to look at the Boston situation, it's totally different. Uh, when you look at Ray Allen and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, uh, Ray Allen doesn't need the ball in his hands to impact the game. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's one of the finest catch-and-shoot guys uh, you could hope for. Kevin Garnett, you don't have to run plays for him to impact the game. Defensively, his versatility, uh, his passing ability. Uh, those things, uh, he can impact the game without the ball. Now you look at Bosch, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James, and all three of those guys really to be there uh, of maximum value, they have to have the ball in their hands. You have to run plays for them. And that's the big issue that you see with the Miami Heat offense right now is that it's basically take a number. You've got to run a play for this guy, then you've got to run a play for this guy, then you've got to run a play for this guy. Well, that might keep them all happy, and that might allow you to utilize them, all of them, but it doesn't make you uh, a dynamic team. And, and I don't know, quite honestly, how they get around that. Um, as good a passer as, as LeBron James is, he's not a pure point guard, uh, and his game is, you know, what's, what's really shocked me in watching him in Miami is we're finding out how sloppy and unformed his game is. I, I still I look at his game and I go, what is his sweet spot on the floor? What is his go-to move? Where does he operate from on the floor? He does everything because of his size and speed and athleticism, and he does everything pretty well, but I don't see what that central point to his game is that you play off of to make everybody better. Now, those are great points. We're joined by Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Great follow on Twitter, R-I-C-B-U-C-H-E-R. Rick, 
you know, great enthusiasm during the offseason for the NBA. A lot of people followed the free agency yep. process, a lot of big TV yep. ratings early on, but it's all tempered by the talk of a potential work stoppage at the end of this season. Lots of issues, but chief amongst them, you've got the owners saying, we want to roll back salaries by 33%. We may look at existing contracts and look to reduce those existing contracts. They want to go to a model like the NHL used when they had their work stoppage in 2005. You know, I hear a lot of rhetoric, talk to a lot of people like you do. I'm not getting positive vibes that this thing is going to get solved and that there's not going to be some kind of a work stoppage. Oh, I have no doubt that there will be. There, there's no way that the owners can get what they want um, unless the, the players just roll over now uh, because the owners are going to ask for everything. They're going to ask for rollbacks. Uh, if they don't ask for a hard cap, they're going to ask for such a large percentage of the, uh, of the basketball revenue that it might as well be uh, a hard cap because it's going to assure them of, uh, of a profit. And that's essentially what's driving this, is that, you know, in previous, in previous uh, negotiations, in previous years, you had a great majority of owners who bought in for five, 10, 15, 20 million dollars. Uh, and so, and they were looking at franchises that were worth now 250 and up. Well, now you have, uh, since 99, uh, since we had the last lockout, you've got at least 13, 14 new owners, uh, many of whom have bought in at 300, 350 million. They, they bought in at the premium price. So they are now looking at their investment and saying, look, I, I want to be assured that I'm going to make a profit here. And to do that, the NHL model works, and don't don't ignore the fact that you have guys like Ted Leontis, who who went through that process, who can who can speak firsthand on the benefits of having done that. And so, uh, but but I this is where I disagree with you. I don't really see this having a damper on this season. I, I feel like the owners have the best of both worlds. The the sale on tickets this year is through the roof. People are gaga about the Miami Heat, uh, regardless of the fact that they, they may not play next year. And this grand experiment, if they, if they don't get a ring this year, and now they miss next season or a big part of it, or uh, their, their chances of winning next year are, are greatly impacted by the fact that it's a truncated season, I just I don't get any sense that that's impacting the way people feel right now. And so the owners are getting a huge bang out of this season, out of the, the Lakers being what they are, out of the Celtics having reloaded and looking good, Miami adding a whole new twist to, uh, to, uh, to everybody's season. And then they get next season where they're going to squeeze things so hard. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the players really don't have any, they, they don't have any alternatives. Um, they're going to squeeze this down and, and, and apply the NHL model and, and make certain that they're going to have a cost certainty. And the one other element here, getting back to what the Miami guys did, is the player, and even what Carmelo Anthony is doing by saying, you know what, I'm not going to sign the max extension now. I'm going to wait to have my freedom. The owners, in looking at what the, the guys going to Miami did and what Melo did, are, can essentially say, obviously, we are paying you more money than you need because you are willing to take less 
to go where you choose. So how, how can you possibly say that, uh, that you're not overpaid when you are comfortable enough to leave money on the table? And, and they're going to look at that and go, oh, okay, obviously making 16, 17, 18 million is not that important to you. You're happy making three, four million dollars less. Well, we're going to give you that opportunity. I agree with that. I think it's a terrific point. But some of the contracts that were handed out this offseason to the Amir Johnsons, and we just saw Michael Heisley pay out Mike Conley Jr. $9 million a year. I look at some of these contracts, and you just scratch yep. your head. So I get what you're saying. If a player feels like they can go you know, have super friends somewhere else or play in the city that they want to play in, maybe they'll take less money. But I also think the owners, it's almost like they want to dummy-proof the league and protect them from yep. themselves because there are so many owners handing out bad contracts, they want to make it impossible to hand out a bad contract for too long. No, no, no. Agreed. But if you look at all, all the deals that were handed out this summer, they, look, uh, owners are expecting uh, a couple of things. One, uh, they're expecting a rollback. So whatever money they gave out this year, they're expecting and getting up to 25% of those contracts back. Two, you're talking about a lockout next year. So a race at least part or more of next season's salary that they're paying out uh, to those guys and anybody else that they would resign. I mean, if you look overall at the overall total amount of money being spent on salaries this season, I, I haven't crunched the numbers, but with all, with so many teams not uh, not using their exception, not going to the to to the you know, like the the Nets, you know, uh, spending just enough to get over the minimum. I dare say there's less money being, even with all those contracts being given out, there's less money being spent on salaries this season than in the last five years. And, uh, and they're looking at putting something in place that allows them to get back money from those new deals or a, a vehicle in which they, they are forced to, uh, to, to change deals or, or let go of guys. So I, I look, I, I think again, the owners win on both ends. They get the, they get the appearance that they tried to improve their team, that Milwaukee went out and, hey, look, we, we went and got in a, 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 a Drew Gooden. Uh, Toronto, hey, we're, you know, we're not, we're not just abandoning ship because we lost Chris Bosch. Uh, and yet they, none of them, I guarantee you this, none of them, expect to pay every dollar of the uh, contracts that they handed out this, this past summer. Last question before you uh, have to go. David Stern came out a few weeks ago, and I was shocked by this. He used yeah. the C word, and I had not heard him yep. use the C word in a long time, and the C word was yep. contraction. Yep. If you're trying to establish value for your teams, like you talked about earlier in this conversation, 300 400 yep. 450 million dollars and now you're yep. talking about contraction. Yep. How does that help your league at all? I, I was really surprised when I heard that out of his mouth. That was simply, uh, to me, that was a, uh, a shot across the bow for the players. If you, if you, you don't like what we're talking about, uh, about reducing salaries, how about if we take away 90 jobs? Now how does that feel? Uh, I, I don't think he's serious in that. I do think there's a great possibility that in the next five or six years, 
that um, one that you'll see uh, you could potentially see some of these small markets over here that those franchises are shifted to uh, a division in Europe and if you're if you're the Maloofs and you can have a franchise in Sacramento where you can't get a new arena deal or you can have London and all of the possible the financial possibilities that that would provide um, those are global guys they don't have any attachment to Sacramento but wouldn't you do that if you were, if you were Heisley uh, Michael Heisley and you could be in Barcelona rather than Memphis wouldn't you do that um, I, I gotta think that you'd have to at least look at that model and so I believe I believe it's uh, it's a combination of uh, of those two things where where you're going to scare scare the players by saying you know what we're we're just going to squeeze down and then there is that opportunity of potentially moving those particular franchises and you look where things are right now nobody's going to sell <coughs> nobody's going to sell their franchise right now because it's, it, it would be really difficult. Uh, one, I, I just I don't know anybody that's buying, and if I'm a prospective owner, I want to wait until the new collective bargaining agreement is in place anyway to see exactly where it is. And once that is in place, uh, I would expect that all of these uh, that all of these teams value. Uh, there will be a lot of bidders for them because now you're going to have a, a a a model in place that guarantees you a profit. So now you get to be a, a, a the owner of a of a professional franchise, and you're assured, as you said, it's dummy proof. You don't even have to know anything about basketball. You're guaranteed a con- you're guaranteed a profit. Rick Buecher, ESPN's NBA insider. Rick, always great to catch up with you. Always insightful. Uh, happy holidays, and we'll catch up with you soon. You got it, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's, or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. A few tidbits before we let you go this week. The NBA store on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, they're going to turn out their lights in February of 2011. The store reports crushingly high rent 
Griggs, $77 million a year they've been paying in rent. I always wondered what it cost to rent retail space there in uh, high-priced Manhattan. I guess the NBA store's been paying $77 million a year. They're going to do some pop-up stores, most likely, work in collaboration with Adidas, who's their apparel provider, and uh, maybe do some things with them. But I don't blame them. $77 million? Are you kidding me? That is incredible. And I mean, I can't imagine getting that bill every month. I mean, I think my mortgage is bad. <laughs> you mentioned $77 million. Unbelievable. That'd make me pretty sick. All right. And the last story of the week... As if it wasn't bad enough in Dallas with Wade Phillips being fired, Victor Goodnez, a reporter in Dallas, reports the Cowboys forgot to renew their registration on DallasCowboys.com. Now, Comscore research shows that DallasCowboys.com, second most popular NFL website, only behind the league's main page. So when people are going to get news about the Wade Phillips firing this week, DallasCowboys.com, not even there. They got it fixed, Griggs. It's on auto-renew now, so that won't be a problem again. But uh, I bet you someone in the IT department of the Cowboys lost their job this week. (laughs) I I would say that's probably correct. I mean, that's something like, how does that slip through the cracks? I mean, especially with a website like that, everybody knows. If you're thinking Cowboys, that's where you're going to go. I mean, hello. And especially a week where there's really big news. A lot of thank yous on the show this week. Uh, Rick Buecher. ESPN's NBA insider Paul Swangard from the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Kalkoff Bikes, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page, look for the iTunes icon on our homepage. We're on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Enjoy your week. We'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.